My name is Paul, and I want to start a series on software. I want to start my own series because the um, content available right now isn't what interests me. Unfortunately, a lot of the audio series and podcasts uh, that are out for software right now um, involve more than one presenter. They're loud. They are series and videos and audio um, episodes that are aimed at you in the car in the middle of the day. And that's not really how I listen to audio content. If I was looking to consume some sort of a content, uh, you know, a content during the daytime, I'd be going for video. My eyes are open. Um, I don't commute on a train or a bus. So when I want to listen, it's usually at nighttime. It's usually when everything is calm, when I'm calm, and when I just want to relax. I've loved audiobooks. They're a great way to go to sleep, but what I wanted was to also be able to learn something while I was relaxing. And I'm a huge nerd, so I enjoy just listening to people talk about software. So, I don't know how successful this is going to be, or if anybody is listening at all. But I thought that at least for this installment, I would be um, wise to start slow and to uh, begin with a brief introduction of software and how it's made. I wanted to go from end to end on this process, but I also wanted to aim it towards people who will benefit from this. Uh, so I'm not aiming this at amateur programmers or expert programmers or professional programmers, but maybe you'll enjoy this fairly short audio anyway. And maybe it'll encourage you to uh, keep listening if I do release any more of these. I will be, after this episode, uh, diving much deeper into um, the specifics of software um, and raising the bar a little bit. Uh, I myself am a professional software engineer. I work at Microsoft. Um, I'm still quite junior, so I'm no expert. But maybe you'll like to follow me along in these. So let's begin, okay? Um, I think it'd be good to identify and and uh, define what computer software is. Uh, computer software is also known as uh, computer programs or simply software. Uh, so software and computer software is a generic term that refers to a collection of computer instructions made up of ones and zeros. And this is commonly known as binary. Uh, binary tell a computer how to work in contrast to the physical hardware from which the system is built and actually performs the work. This binary is the only language a computer understands. Each binary number can be either one or a zero and it's called a bit. So one of these numbers, like a digit, 
that can be one or zero, but it's only one digit, is called a bit. Now this binary information is stored at the byte level. And a byte consists of eight bits. So there are eight bits in each byte. There are eight digits that can be ones or zeros. So it's a string of ones and zeros, eight digits long. And this uh, uh, forms a, a hexadecimal code. So what's a hexadecimal? Hexadecimal is also known as base 16 or simply hex. And uh, a hex is a positional numeral system with a radix or a base of 16. Hexadecimal numerals are widely used by computer programmers as they provide a more human-friendly representation of binary-coded values. What you'll discover about software engineering and computer software is that an enormous amount of time and effort and resources are put into um, making things easier for the human to understand. Originally, when the first computers existed, it was necessary to input all information, including the source, by hand. To do this, one of the first set of programming languages were introduced, and they were named assembly languages. These languages allowed programmers to write computer instructions at the binary level, but with programming statements that made sense once learned, and that could be read with practice. So this introduces a fundamental concept in computer science and software development called abstraction. Abstraction is the concept that a simple interface is covering a much more complex system underneath. So let's try and come up with a real world example of abstraction. And I think the easiest is the example of a button. And the button launches a missile. The interface you have with this button is very simple. You click the button. That is the only thing you do. It's a very simple action, a very simple interface. However, the chain of events, including the hundreds of important variables associated with the launching and the guiding and the hitting um, of a target is complex. Now, abstractions allow the wielding of ever increasingly complex mechanisms in a human-friendly way. Instead of a human having to open the missile hatch and go down into the the silo and uh, I know manually uh, uh, wire up the right wires to, in order to make the missile launch and then I mean I don't even know how they would go about guiding it uh, if it wasn't an automatic system itself you know it, it would be extremely difficult if not completely impossible and that it might take you know a, like a couple of weeks for that person to launch a missile however if you've abstracted away from that whole process and that chain of events, uh, and you've abstracted that to a button, a single button, uh, button can be pressed multiple times. Uh, multiple buttons can be pressed by multiple times by one person. That person 
is now free to be much more efficient and to do many more things without getting bogged down in the complexity um, of the mechanism. So the closer toward binary instructions and the bare metal of a computer's central processing unit, which we call the CPU, uh, the closer you are to that, the uh, quote-unquote lower level you are said to be. The further away from this, uh, the more abstracted away from this you are, uh, you are said to be a quote-unquote higher level. So computer software is written using instructions to the computer that are human-readable. And we call this source code. Source code can be written in many different programming languages, and each language varies in levels of abstraction from the aforementioned data formats uh, the computer ultimately understands. Programming languages are also generally built for different purposes, operations, industries, and problem sets. Common examples of programming languages are Java, C Sharp, C++, Python, and JavaScript. The computer programmer writes these instructions line by line in a text editor and organizes the code into logical blocks, files, and folders. In order for a computer to read and run the program, this human-readable source code must be turned into binary, or converted into binary, or translated in a process called compilation. This process is undertaken by another computer program called a compiler that transforms source code written in one programming language, the source language, into another programming language, the target language. The target language is generally bytecode, or binary code, excuse me. So the target language is generally binary. We'll call that machine code. Or it can be bytecode, which is a hexadecimal code, if you remember from earlier on. But generally speaking, the source language is a higher level language, more abstracted language, more human readable language. And the target language of compilation is lower. And usually, although there are exceptions, it's very, very low. If not, 100, like, you know, uh, immediately able to be read by a computer. So in the case of being immediately readable by a computer, machine code or binary code can be read immediately by the computer's CPU. Um, but bytecode is a very low-level and intermediate representation of computer instructions that can be translated or compiled into machine code in a compilation strategy called just-in-time, which is just a way of saying just-in-time for it to be ran as it's needed while the program is actually executing. So instead of all the compilation happening before the program starts, 
It just translates what it needs as it needs it. So aside from the process of translation, compilers also check the source code for errors, such as misspellings or misuses of the language, and fail the compilation process, returning the location of the error in addition to varying levels of explanation as to the cause of said error, depending on the error in question and the compiler being used and the language being used. So software can be written by individual programmers or by many. The more complex and wider the scope of a program's functionality, the more that the program does, then the more programmers are generally required to complete the task of writing the necessary software. Professionally written and commercialized software is generally written by large numbers of collaborating programmers and taking a matter of years to complete. These are large projects. These are sometimes tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of files. One concept that allows this simultaneous editing of the same source code by more than one programmer is a concept called version control. So version control is actually quite simple. It's the management and collection of the editing history of files, like a logbook. And the complete collection of source code, all the files is known as the code base and source control software it's just another program that keeps track of all of the revisions to this code base, all of the different file changes, all the different additions to it, and the deletions from it. So these changes are usually identified by a number or a letter code termed the revision number. It also includes a timestamp of when this revision was made. It identifies the person who made the change. And then it contains information like what was deleted and where, and what was added and where. Another concept that builds upon this concept of version control is distributed version control. This is a type of version control where the complete code base, including the version history, is mirrored on every developer's computer. By mirrored, I mean each developer on his computer has a complete copy of the code base and a complete copy of the code base's version history. This is a peer-to-peer -peer approach it's also referred to as a, you know, or known as a person-to-person -person approach to version control. This is in contrast to some sort of another system like a client or a person-to-server uh, approach. Um, and this results in a system that does not rely on a centralized master copy of the code base, which would be held on a server 
if this was more of a client-to-server approach. This means that each developer that's working on the project has the full master copy of the code base. And it's shared and it's synchronized between each of these programmers so that they keep up to date. This is safer. It's much more redundant. Um, the server in the client server model uh, could be very vulnerable. What if it goes on fire? In this peer-to-peer -peer approach, it's just a much safer way of keeping track of your potentially very valuable code base. An individual programmer can make changes to one or more files on the code base and submit these changes to the shared master version of the code base. And we'll, we'll call this the master branch. In order to do this, the programmer must possess an up-to-date version of the master branch that that everybody recognizes is the most up-to-date version of the master branch. And the version control software will do this itself and automatically. The changes are submitted as a new revision to the master branch. So as the latest revision on the branch, on this stack of revisions, this new revision is added to the master branch and all other programmers must update their own version of the master branch to pull in this new change submitted by the developer. And while they don't need to do this immediately, they will have to ensure that their local master branch is up to date before they can submit their own changes. The changes are kept chronological, so ordered by time. If a bad revision has been incorrectly incorporated into the master branch, it shouldn't have gone in. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it's introduced a bug. Maybe it broke something that was previously working. That's called a regression. Then it's very easy to revert this back to a version of the code base that was healthy, a healthy historical version of itself, thereby undoing the bad changes and restoring the code base and the computer software back to a working, healthy version of itself. Computer software can be distributed for free or it can be sold for a price. The source code can also be released to the public, and we call that open source, or the source code can be kept secret from the public, and that's called closed source. Generally, when a user of the software downloads or otherwise receives the software, they are in the poss possession of the compiled computer-readable code that is owned by a person or a community, a com uh, not a community, a company, in the form of an executable file. They possess the binary machine code or bytecode. This is not human-readable. 
So this is how software is distributed whilst maintaining its closed source nature. It is impossible to completely reverse this process and to be in possession of the source code that resembles the original. However, it is possible, though extremely difficult, to decompile or to reverse the compilation process on the executable files and machine code back into a higher level representation of the instructions so that a skilled individual or group of individuals can read it, can understand it, and can make their own changes to the program. However, these changes would be, in all likelihood, very small due to the difficulty of the process and the quality and understandability, readability of this decompiled code. Most proprietary software, which is software written by a person or a company for sale, follows this model in order for secrecy and to maintain control over their intellectual property of the software solution. It ensures that nobody can copy their source code and immediately compete with them or steal secrets or um, learn from how they did something that is key to their core offering. The opposing model, open source, is publicly available. You can download the source code. You can read the source code. And in many, if not most cases, the source code is editable. You can change it. And after you've changed it, you can redistribute this new source code with your changes upon it. The source files are released with one of many available special licenses that grant to different degrees and combinations those freedoms. Open source software is essential to maintaining community development of free software. And you may not know it, but many programs you use are likely open source. Common examples of these are the Mozilla Firefox browser, Audacity, VLC for playing movies and audio files, 7-Zip for compressing and decompressing files that you send over email. You know, you can extract the contents of a compressed file. And 7-Zip does that. It's been free and open source. And the Linux kernel. So many people have heard of Linux. It is a form of operating system created by this man named Linus Torvalds. But he's responsible for what's called a kernel. And a kernel is like the foundation of an operating system. But I'll get into that if I make another uh, episode of this. And we'll go into much be- uh, more detail. So 
not to uh, meander off topic, these open source software projects are developed and they're maintained by passionate unpaid developers. Um, sometimes in the addition to paid developers, there are many projects that were originally the intellectual property and closed source products of companies and individuals that ended up becoming and being made open source by being released with all of these aforementioned li uh, licenses and their employees still help contribute and guide the continued development of these projects along with these unpaid volunteers. I'm going to end it there. I hope that if you did not know much about software and its development, that this has helped you. And if I do make another episode, I hope you tune into that.